1: The Pens get set for period number two in Colorado. Pens, 12 games to go as they try to get into the playoffs. And so we're looking right now, DraftKings sportsbook odds. The Avalanche, the favorites to win the West right now, plus 275. It's not too late. Down if you watch DraftKings live
0: sportsbook sports DraftKings these days, there is one thing that is always there. I don't mean the athletes or the announcers or the play-by-play, but betting.
1: You cannot watch TV without seeing betting ads. You can't listen to the radio. You can't open a newspaper to the extent that people still do that. Sports betting ads are everywhere and they're likely to be that way for some time.
0: That's John Holden. He's an associate professor at Oklahoma State. And when you want to talk about sports betting, he is the guy. John has watched legal sports betting explode after a 2018 Supreme Court decision made it legal and made it seemingly inextricable from every aspect of big-time sports. You can't turn on the TV or use the internet or even listen to a podcast without the ever-present opportunity to take the over or the under.
1: Coming up on Daily Wager today, the Western Conference Finals tip off tonight in the Mile High City. Can the King keep his Game 1 road win streak going?
0: Has it changed the way you feel about watching live sports?
1: You know, I think I'm in probably the majority that think this is over the top. It's a little bit annoying. Um, it, it's hard to drown it out. For me, I think, you know, I'm inundated with this. I spend most of my my workday around this. Uh, so, of course, there is that aspect where I'm getting it anyways. But I, I, too, am wanting to just watch a game sometimes and not have to hear about all this betting commentary.
0: Today on the show, how betting came to dominate live sports, and how technology played a crucial role. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Obviously, sports betting is not a new thing.
1: Sports betting and sports are probably a little bit of chicken the egg what came first. You know, we can look back to to really sort of ancient Greece and there was betting back then. So sports and gambling have always been connected. In the U.S., we've gone through sort of different waves of how we view gambling, both sports betting and, you know, gambling more broadly.
0: John likes to point out that the Jamestown Colony was funded through a lottery. But despite that long history, Americans' attitudes about betting seemed to swing back and forth.
1: After World War II, there there were big concerns about gambling. And the real concern at the time was its connection to organized crime. And back in the, the 1950s, there was the Koffavert Commission, which was a, a famous 13, 14-city tour by Senator Estes Koffeber, and he went around and he interviewed a number of organized crime figures. And it really shone a light on what organized crime does in the United States. And one of the things to come out of that was that sports betting was one of their primary money-making operations. That, that was sort of our, our initial foray into sports betting, During this time, we also saw the emergence of Nevada and Las Vegas. And there's obviously some organized crime overlap there. This feels very Godfather too. it, It certainly does.
0: For a while, Nevada was basically a lone gambling outpost. Then tribal lands started experimenting with gaming in the 70s and 80s. And a few states saw that and thought gambling might boost tax revenue and help them recover from the brutal recession of the early 80s.
1: So New Jersey, New York, we're all considering sports betting. And at this time, the sports leagues didn't like the idea that more states would have betting on sports. And they didn't like the idea that Nevada had betting on sports. But Why not? The fear at the time was that more sports betting would lead to more game fixing. Major League Baseball and all the other sports leagues really had this fear that if we had legal betting, we would see the 1919 World Series just repeat itself over and over again. And it would effectively spell the end of organized sports.
0: Brief history lesson here. If you do not know, the 1919 World Series between the Chicago White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds was fixed. It's complicated, but the short version is that several Sox players threw the series in exchange for money from gangsters. Big stain on baseball led to the creation of the modern league. And it made professional sports very, very nervous about betting for decades. Okay, back to the 1980s now.
1: What ends up happening is over three years, the professional sports leagues and the NCAA really lobby Congress to pass a law. And Congress couldn't pass a law banning sports betting Because Nevada's gaming interests were simply too strong. But what they did do was they passed a law freezing gambling in place as it existed in 1992.
0: So it effectively banned sports betting, except for in Nevada.
1: Effectively, yes.
0: But slowly, the positions of the major sports leagues began to shift. New Jersey legalized some sports betting in 2012. And even though the leagues were fighting with New Jersey, they began to realize that the national mood was changing.
1: NBA commissioner Adam Silver writes a New York Times op-ed, and it says not only should sports betting be legalized, but the federal government should regulate it. He said there's $400 billion going offshore, and Slate had a great article uh, around 2014 talking about how this number is completely made up. The the idea was that all this money's going offshore. We're not taxing it. We can't see what's happening. Let's bring it on shore and regulate it. When we come back, the
0: Supreme Court legalizes gambling and we're off to the races. Literally, figuratively, the whole deal. Hey, listeners, it's Lizzie, and I want to tell you about an event we are doing with our friends at The Waves. Do you love Succession? Do you love it as much as I do? If you want to deep dive into the show's feminist heroes and villains and hear a bunch of smart women talk about the fashion, power, and relationship dynamics of one of HBO's biggest and best shows— You can join us for a very special Women of Succession virtual event. It's hosted by me and exclusively for Slate Plus members. It's on Tuesday, May 3rd at 5 p.m. Eastern. And you can sign up now at slate.com slash waves event. I'm going to summarize some legal history here. But what you need to know is that a version of the New Jersey fight went all the way to the Supreme Court. And in May of 2018, sports betting became legal. And a few companies capitalized right out of the gate because they were already dominating the world of online fantasy sports.
1: Daily fantasy sports really served as a test run in a lot of ways for the U.S. market and testing whether society was ready for this shift towards legalized gambling. It also allowed the sports leagues the ability to see sort of the reactions that people had to them partnering with these companies. At one time, a number of sports leagues owned pieces of these daily fantasy companies. And what we saw was that at one time, every league had a partnership with daily fantasy companies. Most teams did. And really, it became uh, ubiquitous around the country, this daily fantasy sports. And despite the fact that it existed within this sort of questionable legal space where people weren't sure, is this gambling? Is it fantasy sports? Does it matter? The product survived and it continued to thrive up until really the the legalization or the opportunity to legalize after the Supreme Court.
0: Well, I'm listening to you and I think about the the market share that FanDuel and DraftKings seem to command right now. Were they able to just carry all those fantasy players along with them the minute the Supreme Court said go?
1: A lot of people thought that what would happen is that the legacy brands from Nevada, the MGMs, the Caesars, the William Hills, the companies that have been running sportsbooks for years would be the ones that consumers would gravitate to. And there were a number of UK brands, Bet365, Bet888, that have been doing this for years. They've got tons of experience doing this. And they would come over and very quickly dominate the market. What we saw was that, no, people wanted to use FanDuel and DraftKings. They've been playing on these platforms for years. They're familiar with the user interface. They're familiar with how the deposit systems work. It's simply a new app. Same brand, same same look, same feel, only one's called fantasy and one's called gambling. And the the two daily fantasy giants have really turned sports betting on its head and at the moment control somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 90% of the market, depending on the month.
0: You know, all of this was taking place against the backdrop of widespread adoption of smartphones, broadband internet, streaming. I wonder if you've thought at all about the role technology plays in enabling this kind of, of betting.
1: Absolutely. I think this has been one of the other factors that surprised a lot of people. Certainly, we know that when the internet became a household staple, two things emerged, porn and gambling. <laughs> Those were two of the first things that, that we got. I mean, and this is kind of one of these things that we see. You get new technology, you immediately get device industries. Uh, and so there's been internet gambling since 1995. And people became familiar with that, and as technology advanced, so so did gambling technology. When sports betting was legalized, a lot of people who perhaps are less familiar with the offshore world of sports betting thought that people would want that Nevada experience, that going to the sports book, seeing the fifty TVs, the big couches. You go up to a window, you place a bet. But what we found after is that, no, people don't actually want that. That's something that Las Vegas does very well. And that's why you go to Las Vegas. If you're in New Jersey or Delaware or North Dakota, people want to bet from their couch. They want to bet from their phones. They don't want to have the burden of having to go down to a casino to place a wager. So what we're seeing now is, I mean, 90 to 95% of all bets are being placed online. We even have Tennessee that only has online betting.
0: So it really is an internet thing.
1: Uh, absolutely.
0: Now leagues and broadcasters have gone all in, so to speak, on sports betting, with ads and marketing and even programming.
1: Never too early to talk week one in the NFL. And we have eight division matchups. Road team favorite in four of those eight. The Jags favorite in Indy. Jacksonville has covered 13 of the last 16 meetings. ESPN, Fox Sports, all these companies have seen sports betting as a new way to energize their customer base. And we, we see it in online journalism. Companies that were sort of investigative companies doing, doing background research on stories are now covering sports betting a lot. Cough,
0: cough, ESPN.
1: (laughs) Exactly. ESPN has leaned full blast into sports betting, and they did, even before there was legal sports betting, through a massive advertising partnership with DraftKings. But now, really, much of ESPN's content that isn't live sports contains some element of gambling.
0: One of the things I'm curious about We've been talking about the sort of saturation of the advertising and, and marketing around games and around sports betting. Is it the same in Europe?
1: Europe has taken a number of steps. So obviously Europe is not a monolith. And perhaps our, our best country as a mirror would be the U.K. And the U.K. has really taken steps to rein in advertising they took a number of steps a few years ago to ban numerous pieces of content from gambling advertising, like making it look like you're you're having more fun than it is, making it look like gambling makes you sexy. These things were all banned. And we've recently seen the the publishing of a, a white paper that pushes even further with recommendations to protect European betters. One of the things that England has done is that they don't allow betting of sports betting during soccer broadcasts. So there's no gambling advertisements allowed during Premier League soccer games. Uh, And that is, you know, one of these things that their research shows removing that lessens sort of irresponsible gambling.
0: Well, there's also this thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is like sort of – I don't even know if I want to call it dark side or if it's just icky, where you have like regional broadcasts on the Bally Sports Network and then you have colleges where there are exclusive betting relationships with particular companies. Um, What do you make of that?
1: So there was a lot of controversy when – the University of Colorado signed a deal with PointsBet, whereby PointsBet would be the official gambling partner of the University of Colorado Athletic Department. What ended up coming out was that the University of Nevada and UNLV had actually had partnerships for a couple of years with gambling companies. Okay, in, in but Nevada. that's Nevada, and, and that that was a lot of people's view. And after the the controversy surrounding Colorado broke. A number of schools were much more quiet about their partnerships, but it was still happening. We saw Michigan State sign a deal with Caesars. LSU very, very prominently signed a deal with Caesars. And uh, a large number of people received an email informing them that they could get a free bet or something to that extent from Caesars if they had a ticket to the game. And it it really raised a lot of eyebrows about whether sports betting companies should be associated with college sports and to a bigger extent, whether they should be allowed on campuses where the majority of undergraduate students are still under 21, which is sort of the, the default age for legal gambling.
0: You raised the Michigan State issue. I know you're a Michigan State alum. Um, I am. Th- there's a group of professors who have pushed back against this relationship. And and one of the things that I saw in the coverage was that Caesars also has access to the student body's email database. It, it does feel weird. It does feel like it's a, an open door to say, you 21-year-olds on campus come place a bet and you nine, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you come for us soon.
1: Yeah. The the extent of these partnerships certainly varies. And, you know, I, I'm sure you're like me. You, you receive a lot of emails and you're like, how did I get on this mailing list? And um, mailing lists are, are one of the valuable commodities that people have. So it's it's not surprising that Caesars or PointsBet or FanDuel wants access to a large list of customers that are in sort of their target demographics. Now, state laws and gambling regulations around the country prohibit targeting underage bettors. We have seen, however, that this does happen occasionally where underage bettors or people who are on self-exclusion or prohibited lists are receiving sports betting content that they shouldn't be.
0: Right. I, I mean, now to push back on myself, am I being, like, overly puritanical by saying, well, if a college student's 21 and they want to do this, it's legal. Well, why, Why am I clutching my pearls about it?
1: You know, I think that was probably – not speaking for any university's view, but my guess is that was probably their view, is that we do have students who are legal adults who who can engage in this. Some of the things that we're learning about problem gambling and people who develop addiction issues are that oftentimes that's a vulnerable age to be introduced to this product. I think that's one of the concerns here is that This is being introduced to a vulnerable population at a vulnerable time. And as we learn more about this, we learn that this is less and less appropriate.
0: In the past few weeks, there have been a series of sports gambling scandals. For example, at least 41 athletes at the University of Iowa and Iowa State are being investigated for betting on sports, which is against NCAA rules and the University of Alabama's baseball coach was fired after being linked to suspicious bets. So let's take the college scandals, the ubiquity of ads and programming. It it all feels um, like a critical mass. Do you think there is any sentiment either from the public or from lawmakers either at the state or federal level to say, maybe we went too far?
1: I think some states are feeling this. We saw Representative Paul Tonko uh, from New York introduce legislation that would ban gab- gambling advertisements in Congress, that legislation is simply a piece of paper and likely to stay simply a piece of paper. But we are hearing rising calls for something to be done. We have now seen the American Gaming Association, the chief industry group, put out new guidelines around advertising. We have now seen a conglomeration of operators and sports leagues put out their own guidelines, largely echoing the themes of the American Gaming Association. The question is, can they do it? The the reality is, is, simply not advertising on college campuses is not going to be enough to stop this. You you have to tone down the, the broadcast during the games, the constant broadcasts during evening television. It's simply too much. So you have the Supreme Court decision. And I think the, the bigger issue with gambling restrictions would be the First Amendment. I, I think Representative Tonko's initiative that would effectively give it the cigarette treatment and say no advertising would run into problems. I I don't think that we have the history around gambling that we have around tobacco Hmm. that that would allow it to survive uh, a First Amendment challenge. I think, you know, we could probably place some guardrails around the advertising, but a blanket ban would likely face a challenge and and probably be defeated.
0: So where is this all going?
1: That's really the billion-dollar question. I think a lot of people expect that the next five years, we're going to see some things come out that we don't like. It's going to reflect badly on the industry. We're going to see likely problem gambling numbers rise. We're going to see likely questions about how much tax revenue this has actually brought in. For the gambling companies, I think the big objective for a number of them is to have sports betting as a placeholder, much like Daily Fantasy Sports was, until online gaming, online casinos are legalized, because there's much better profit margins than the 5% margins on sports betting in casino gambling. And I think around the country, we're going to see a lot more care be put into how we go about legalizing this.
0: John Holden, thank you so much for talking with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: John Holden is an associate professor at Oklahoma State's Spears School of Business. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Patrick Ford. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of this show, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business? Introducing The Godfather at Choppacasino.com.